Please turn also to the New Testament, to the book of Ephesians. The text for this morning is Ephesians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. I'll begin reading from from verse 3 through verse 14. This is God's holy word. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. May we go to our God and ask for his blessings on the reading and also the preaching of his holy word. Our Lord God, we thank you for indeed you are mighty, that you are trustworthy, that in you we depend, that your plans, that your will is perfect, and that you have revealed your will to us through your Son, Jesus Christ, that in him all things come together, the summing up of all things. Father, we pray that we would submit to your Son, that we would kiss the Son. Father, that we would embrace him, acknowledging that there is life in none other but in Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for your mercy to us. We thank you that is the great King. You have the authority to command us, that you have the authority to judge us. Father, we pray in thanks that instead you extended your mercy and your grace to us, that you sent your Son to die the cursed death of the cross. We pray, Father, that we would embrace this good news that we would trust in him alone for our salvation. Father, we pray that our Lord Jesus would be exalted and that your servant would be humbled. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. There's something great about having plans that are hidden. During World War II, there was the plan that Britain had to bring some methods of escape to their POWs, their prisoners of war, in other countries. 
the method they came up with <clears throat> is they had this board game, a board game called Monopoly. And that it wasn't discovered until <clears throat> well after World War II, well into the, was it uh, probably the 90s or the 2000s, when it was some memo that came out. <clears throat> and somehow they let the cat out of the bag so many decades later. They thought about what, what escaping POWs would need. They probably need some kind of map, map of escape. And it, it could not be paper because it could get wet and damaged and be turned to mush. So there was a firm that learned how to uh, print ink on silk. So they provided silk maps. They also figured that, uh, that their people would need some type of local currency, right? They might have to pay for things. They might have to bribe people. So there was monopoly money in terms of whatever, uh, wherever they were captured, that they asked, hey, can we provide some of these games for our men to be entertained? And they said, sure, no problem. And there was local currency there. And so these things were used. And it wasn't until far later they figured out, wow, this thing went unnoticed for so long. What a great plan. Have you ever wondered how great a plan our God has in revealing to us his plan to redeem man through his son, Jesus Christ? That this is what angels long to peer into, according to 1 Peter 1. This is what the shepherds heard, that they, that they heard about this great news of this king who would be born. That our Lord Jesus, in the fullness of time, that God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, and that we might receive the adoption as sons. That this is the great plan of God. And that God is glorified even as we come to understand the perfection, the wisdom of his plan through Jesus Christ. Here in the book of Ephesians, What's presented to us by the Apostle Paul in this letter is the glorious Savior we have in Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ and his bride, the church. That this glorious bride would be made clean, not because of anything that she's done, but because Jesus washed her clean. Then there's this repetition of mystery, a mystery that's made known to men. <coughs> The Apostle Paul is the one who writes this letter, and he writes to the saints there in Ephesus. In verses 3 through 14, we have one unit. This is one sentence, one really long sentence, 200-some words, uh, and supposedly it's, it's not run on. He, he has uh, uh, partitions in this one sentence, but here he's essentially sharing the gospel. And this section will then be expanded on in the rest of his letter to the Ephesians. And this is a Trinitarian summary. <clears throat> Verses 3 through 6 speaks about the good work and good plan of God the Father. <clears throat> Verses 7 through 12, we have the work of Jesus Christ the Son. And verses 13 and 14, we have the work of the Holy Spirit. Here <clears throat> we see... In today's passage, verses 9 and 10, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he has set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. 
we have this truth that God reveals his plan to bring everything in heaven and earth in subjection to Jesus Christ. God reveals his plan to bring everything in heaven and earth in subjection to Jesus Christ. We have this in two points. The first is the revelation of the mystery of Christ. And second, the consummation of the mystery in Christ. Uh, just for some of our visitors, just in case you don't know, the, the, uh, the chairs that we have are perfectly slanted so that you put your, your hymnal or Bible on it. You don't notice that it's sloping, but it's, it's sliding off. So if you're going to put your Bible on your perfectly slanted uh, chairs, you have to stand them up so they don't keep on sliding off. Right. So the first point, the revelation of the mystery of Christ in verse 9. Making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. So here we have a review of, in verse 3, what's stated is every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That in Christ we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So it begins there in verse 4. He chose us in Christ to be holy and blameless before God. It's not merely election. It's not merely God choosing us to be special, to continue in our lives. But rather, he chose us that we would be holy and blameless before him. So anyone who who says that they're elect, but they they live uh, according to their own desires and according to their own standard and their own sin, that person is deceived. Because being chosen in Christ means being chosen unto holiness and unto blamelessness. There's also... Being predestined to adoption through Christ. This is being predestined so that we would be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ. Then there's the redemption through Christ's blood. Redemption implies something bad. It It implies something called bondage. That Jesus had said, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And that's where oftentimes the difficult rub comes in. Who? What do you mean when you say that I'm enslaved? I've been enslaved by nobody. Are you a sinner? Well, yes, I am. Well, can you stop it? Sure, I can. Anytime I want. Go ahead and do it then. And here, the answer is we cannot. That's proof that we who sin are enslaved to sin. And it's only in Jesus Christ, it's only by the work of regeneration, that men can be freed from this bondage to sin and death. It's freed by the payment of Christ's blood. And today we have the fourth mention of the spiritual blessing. God made known to us the mystery of his will in Christ. This is no small matter. When we think about mystery, this term is mentioned 30-something times, about 30 times in the New Testament, and about two-thirds of them uh, are used by Apostle Paul. The worldly concept of mystery Perhaps you've heard about some of these uh, old religions. And it's not just old ones. They're, they're, it also just as modern ones. You need to think about um, the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses or, or the Masons, right? Uh, they have, these are these secret societies. And you have to be part of it for some time. And after you show your loyalty, uh, and I don't know what else, but they eventually let you into their inner circle, And you're sworn to some kind of secrecy not to tell others what goes on there and and the secret knowledge that you have. You notice here, there's something completely different about the Christian faith. 
Because here, God is saying that whatever is true about Christianity, it's not a secret. It's being made known. It ought to be made known. When, when Jesus was confronted by the Jewish leaders and he was on trial, their testimonies uh, for his conviction, they did not coincide. And Jesus was telling them, hey, listen, everything that I've stated, I've stated publicly. And we can assume what he's saying is that any time he was with his, his, his 12 or even with his three, anything he told them, essentially those things are all public. It's not like he had some hidden knowledge. He was making this known publicly. The crowds had heard him. There's no secret knowledge here. There's nothing that you've got to grovel your way to get. The mystery is not something that's incomprehensible to the human mind. So when we think about mysteries, we often use the term to describe something that man cannot comprehend. It's not so. It's not so here. Rather, it's nuanced. It's, it's a mystery because Christ and his exceedingly great worth is undiscoverable by the unaided human mind. Meaning that it's beyond the reach of natural man. It's beyond the reach of natural man precisely for that reason is, why is it that you need Christ? Well, you need Christ because you need someone to set you free from your bondage to sin and death. Well, I'm not in bondage. Okay, well, that's the problem. You haven't accepted the bad news. The good news is no longer good news then. It's, no, you've misdiagnosed me. It's like going to the doctor. Hey, wait a minute. I don't need chemo because I don't have cancer. No, you do have cancer. It's the cancer of sin. Oh, well... I didn't know about that one. Do you think about this mystery then? It's beyond the reach of the natural man. And here, this is where, especially the modern man, when you think about the 19th, the 20th century, 21st century, not much different. You see, it's it's advancing from that. But this idea of, you know what? We are going to get to the place where there never will be war. I, you hear about this idea, right? Even, even the Christian church, you know, some, some groups bought into that. And, and then in the 20th century, there was World War I. The world, the war to end all wars. And then, then there was World War II, right? And you think about, hey, we're, we're advancing to the point where there will be no more warfare. And it's like, well, well, where did you get that idea? I mean, the 20th century was one of the bloodiest centuries in history. And, and a number of people who died and were, were executed or killed. This is horrendous. But this idea, the modern, modern man thinks, you know what, we're, we're going to put an end to all of that. And when we think about what Jesus teaches us, there will come a time when there will be an end to war. And that is when Jesus returns. And until he does, there will be no end to war. Because there will be no end to sin. So the modern mind... <clears throat> thinks of itself of such exceedingly great worth, the modern mind thinks about this intellectual advancement. Well, look at this. I remember talking to someone back in the 90s at a, at a picnic, and he was telling me, hey, now that we have the Internet, right, we're going to have world peace because this guy in, in Poland can, can talk to this this, uh, this man in Japan, right, and, and they can become friends. Well, you know what? The guy in Poland and the guy in Japan, they don't hate each other. 
right? It's the people who share a common border. It's the, it's the people who are, are part of the same, same national uh, group where they're infighting in a civil war. That, that's the peace that men need. It, it's not someone who lives 6,000 miles away. It's someone who's, who's you know, you, you share a fence line with the guy. This is the real issue. When we think about the discoveries, right, medical advancements, and man's achievement, well, perhaps we still can't explain however many thousands of years ago these, these Egyptian pyramids were built with such precision that you can't even get this sheet of paper in between these, these rocks, right? These stones that are cut, right? they're cut so good. Can we do that even today? They must have been smarter than us or something, but we think about this progress, this advancement. So what do you mean when you say that's, that this mystery is something that the unaided human mind, the natural man, that he cannot understand or grasp? Here. The Apostle Paul addresses this very issue. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 and following. Yet we do not speak among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood, for if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. See here, what the Apostle Paul is saying is, is exactly the same thing that, uh, that the, the psalmist was saying in Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage? Let us, uh, let us cast apart our fetters. Right? This idea of this resistance to the Lord Jesus. And ultimately ended up in them crucifying our Lord. Here, we ought to acknowledge that it is God who makes known this mystery. There in the first part of verse 9, making known to us the mystery of his will. There was a time for God to conceal. Proverbs 25 verse 2, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter. But the glory of kings is to search out a matter. So God concealed it for a while, right? And you think about the garden. You think about the fall in the garden. And the, the foretelling about the good news to come. That God would destroy the work of the seed of the serpent uh, through the work of the seed of the woman. That there would be uh, garments animal skins that God would provide for Adam and Eve because the weak attempt at covering themselves with the fig leaves, that it did no good. It was a horrible attempt to cover their shame and their nakedness. So all of this was God beginning to reveal the good news of the gospel to, to his people. But now we have a candid time of open exposure of the manifestation of the gospel. In Galatians 4, 4 to 5, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. God is one who makes this mystery known by his word and spirit. Sinners must come in contact with the word of God. 
This is what's necessary. This is why we have Bible studies. This is why we speak to others about the Word of God. This is why we open the Word of God to them. This is why we quote the Word of God to them. Ultimately, what's happening is that God is identifying His children. He's identifying His people as His own. What happens when someone who is outside of Christ hears the Word of God? What's happening is they're saying, Hey, I recognize the voice of my Master. That's Lord Jesus. That's His Word. That's His Word being spoken to me. And... What he says is true. See, that's the difference between someone who is in Christ, someone who's outside of Christ. The person outside of Christ says, that's foolishness to me. I'm not accepting it. What he says about me is entirely false. All of you who are in Christ are saying, hey, you know what? Everything that God says about me, his diagnosis of my problem is entirely right. And that Jesus alone is that solution to my problem. Here, we acknowledge that the Word of God alone is not enough to persuade. The Word of God alone is not enough to persuade. We can speak to our children until they're blue in the face. We can speak to our children until we're blue in the face. It's not going to persuade them. It will go in one ear and out the other. What's needed is the mighty work of the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is the one who makes the reading and the preaching of the word effectual unto salvation. Here, God practically makes this word known by people gossiping the gospel. People gossiping, meaning that, hey, we're gossiping this good news. Hey, why did you just leave this country? Or, hey, why did you suddenly immigrate to to this great land of ours? Oh, because I was fleeing persecution. Well, why are they persecuting you? Well, he's a, I believe in this person, Jesus Christ, who is God. Oh, tell me about him. Oh, there you have it, right? The gossiping of the gospel. And of course, the preaching of this good news. That it's through the preaching of the gospel that sinners come to faith and repentance. We think about the motivation. There in verse 9. According to his purpose. The motivation for God to make known this mystery to us sinners is that it's according to his purpose. It's because his good pleasure, we might say. It's because of his good pleasure that God makes known the mystery of his will to sinners because he delights when sinners come to saving faith. He delights when we repent of our sins and embrace him. Now we think about this mystery We keep on referring to it. But what is the essence? What is the essence of this mystery? The essence of this mystery is that it is a way in which God, through Jesus Christ, brings sinful men back into fellowship with him. It's a way in which men are separated from God by our sins. And that the mystery is how men can be brought near And it's through the blood of Jesus Christ. Now perhaps you're thinking, you know what? He doesn't need to go through that trouble. I'm fine. I'll earn God's favor back. I'm a good person. I give blood regularly. I help people. Isn't that enough? The answer is, no, it's not. Because all of those duties, obeying God's word, obeying his commandments, that's already required of us. 
There's nothing that can cover your sin. Nothing except the blood of Jesus Christ. So when you think about this mystery, this is the very mystery we're referring to. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. This is saying that he's entrusting the good news of the gospel. He doesn't entrust it to angels. He entrusts it to fellow sinners. You see, angels don't have any opportunity for repentance and forgiveness. It's only men who have this. We can tell them about what we have known. What We can tell them about what we have experienced. That we speak about what we've come to know through our lives. That God indeed is gracious to sinners. He receives sinners. And the testimony should be our very lives. This is who I once was. But this is me made, no, made new again. That others, those in your family can say, you know what? This son or this daughter of mine... This is how they were before Christ. And this is how they are after completely changed. You know the sad reality. The sad reality about this good news that we have. Is that for conscious, conscience stricken sinners. They're actually more afraid of the cure. They're more afraid of the gospel than they are of their own condition. Do you believe that? Even as you try to talk to people, you know, all it is, go to a party, they start talking, they ask that, that dead-end question, so what do you do for a living, Frank? Oh, I am a minister of the gospel. And then it's like, shoot, they can't, they can't make a beeline fast enough to get to the drink line, right, to get away from me, right? And it's because, hey, the last thing we want is that gospel because, you know what, that's dangerous. That's dangerous, It means my life has to change. It means that I have to give up the the things that I love in this life. It means I have to give up my sin. You know, just as there are types who, you know them. You know them. People who, you talk to them and say, hey, you know, it sounds like you really need to go see your doctor. No, 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 no. I don't don't like going to the doctor. Right? You can imagine people don't like going to the doctor for physical ailments. And they don't like going to the true doctor, Jesus Christ, for spiritual ailments. But that is what you and I need to be washed clean of our sin. We cannot wash ourselves clean. Jesus alone washes us clean. He is the one who forgives sinners. We see the effect of God's revelation of this mystery. The effect is seen in a transformed mind. You realize that Satan comes... He comes attacking the mind. He comes attacking the mind so that you and I are actually saying these very statements. God, you deceived me. Why why would we say, why would we think such a thing? God, you deceived me. God, God, you're the one who always speaks the truth. You never lie. And it's Satan who, who deceives us so that we're thinking, God, you deceived me. It's the world. It's Satan. It's your own hearts that deceive you about your own condition. God never deceives us. God always speaks the truth. We just refuse to accept the truth when it hurts. 
Satan attacks us in the mind when we say, God, you have shortchanged me. Wow. That's almost like a blasphemy. It is blasphemy. No, God has blessed you in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That's not shortchanging, right? That's the opposite of shortchanging, right? This is, this is God giving you exceedingly great things that you did not deserve. Satan also attacks the mind, causes you to say, or leads you to say, God, you're not concerned about my needs. Is it true? God's not concerned about your needs? God meets your greatest need. He meets your need for righteousness. You think about, hey, I'd be happier if I had another uh, 10,000 in my salary. I'd be happier if I had uh, another 100 square feet in my house. No, you won't. The 10,000 that you'd get, it's going to get taxed by the state and the federal. You're not going to get 10,000. You probably, for every penny, you'll get half of one, right? Or less. It's not going to make you happier. Extra square footage is more house for you to clean. More dust to accumulate. It's not going to make you happy. The greatest need that you have is that you and I have our sins against us. And we're under the condemnation of the Almighty God. That at the end of our lives, all of us, every single one of us, will answer to this God. And you're going to stand on one of two things. You're going to stand on your own righteousness. will amount to nothing. Or you're going to stand on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. God is not concerned about your needs. He is. He's provided His Son, His perfect Son, Jesus Christ. Perfect righteousness for you. And He says, receive it by faith. No, I want to work for it. No, no, you cannot work for it. You cannot earn it. You receive it by faith, apart from works. We think about this transformed mind. We think about what the Lord is doing. 2 Corinthians 10, 4-5. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. How difficult is that regarding the transforming of our minds? Oftentimes, Satan attacks, causes friction, and causes you to think ill of another brother or sister, causes you to think ill of those you're called to love and honor. Causes you to think ill about Jesus who gives you everything. But Jesus is not enough. God, you haven't provided for me. We're taking every thought captive. We're fighting off those thoughts. This effect of God's revelation on us is also seen in a transformed life. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death. So that as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father... So we too might walk in newness of life. Transformed life. No longer the same. Created anew. Here. I ask you this simple question. Simple question about a transformed life. Do you have a greater concern for your holiness? Or do you have a greater concern for your image? Or your reputation? That question tells me what not your life is transformed. Your answer that, that will explain where you are. If your life is being transformed, Jesus Christ, your primary concern will be your own holiness. Not what others think of you. Not, hey, wait a minute, you're, you're thinking too low of me here. No. 
Well, think about your holiness. That's what's most important. Reputation will follow. So this is the first point, the revelation of the mystery of Christ. We have the second point, the consummation of the mystery in Christ. There in verse 10. As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Here, we think about the way things started. The way things started. You get to the point of what we call the we cannot explain. In the beginning, there was nothing. In the beginning, there was God. There was God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, perfect fellowship, perfect unity. There was no matter, right? There was no matter in the world. There was no, in the heavens and the earth, right? There, there was nothing. God created all things of nothing. That creation... When you think about creation, think about how cold it was outside. And walking here or getting something from the car, how cold my hands got, right? Oh boy, I better, I better get my hands in my pockets or in my gloves. And you think about how life was in the garden before the fall. Would there have been, you know, 40 or 50 below temperatures? There wouldn't have been, Right? It, it would have it would have been like uh, you know like San Diego right sixty to eighty degree band right and, and, and low taxes and all this right oh, no no there there you see all the things that we have now everything is the result of the fall no death was mentioned right animals did that this did this animal go and eat another animal is there death no death death hadn't entered the world yet this is the way things were before. Then we think about the way things went wrong. We have the fall of Satan. That uh, sometime before the creation of, of man, there was the creation of angels. And Satan, Satan was the prime angel. That it was pride that caused him to fall. It was self-worship. His fall from grace. Then after his fall... With the creation of man, there was the temptation of man. That, that was, it, was it just Eve or was it Adam and Eve who were tempted? The bottom line is they fell. And it had negative effects not only on all of their descendants, but it had negative effects on creation also. Romans 8 speaks about how that creation was subjected to futility. That there is this anxious groaning for things to be made right. When you think about our environment, how there's decay, that things in your house fall apart, they're all reminders that creation is affected by the fall. When we think about how things are made right. Here in verse 10, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him. This word, to unite all things, or the summing up of all things, this, this word is often used, uh, it's like an accounting term. The way that you have an Excel spreadsheet, you have a column, and you have all these numbers in this column, and this summing up, or this uniting, is all of those numbers get added up. They get added up, and on the top, you have the sum of all of those numbers. And this is the very description about Jesus, 
that he would be the one who would unite all things. It's like if you're trying to imagine our universe. And if we take this, this old model of the geocentric, that the whole universe revolves around the earth, you're going to find that you know, your, your numbers just don't seem to match. Hey, this, this orbit, why are, why are the numbers just not aligning? And then we come to realize, no, wait a minute. We don't have a geocentric universe. We have a heliocentric. It's, it revolves around the sun. And, and so also here, we come to realize that everything fits together. Everything makes sense when heaven and earth align around our Lord Jesus. That every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And part of the difficulty for us is then we start to get cynical. We start to imagine, wait a minute, how can it be that one person would have that much authority and power? Because here, the way that the world understands power and authority is that absolute power corrupts absolutely. Right? This would be dangerous. But here, what we have is that Jesus Christ, who is holy and righteous, that there's no ulterior motive, there's no sin, that all things belong under his feet, that he's the rightful owner of all of this. We read earlier in Psalm 2, verses 7 and following, The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I'll make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. That this was, this was the offer to the Son. Ask of me, I'll make the nations your heritage, the ends of the earth your possession. That Jesus owns it all. All the real estate in all the world, all the property, everything belongs to our Lord Jesus, and rightfully so. Everything under Christ. And this is heaven and earth. You think about the way that things are made right. The Apostle Paul goes into it later, later in Ephesians 1. That everything in subjection to the feet of Christ. Then he talks also about the enmity between men in Ephesians 2. The biggest challenge is not that between Jew and Gentile. We can think about all the other uh, difficulties between red people and green people, whatever color, uh, you know, uh, purple people and, and uh, magenta people, whatever's the case, whatever difference, right? Blue and orange, oh, whatever's the case, whatever differences there are, right? Ultimately, the, the coming of Christ, the hope we have in the gospel is not, you know what, I'm finally going to get back at my enemies. I will get the final one up. No, Jesus is the one who has paid it all. If, if anyone has a debt, it's been paid for in Jesus Christ. That whatever barrier between people, between Jew and Gentile, we're told that barrier has been destroyed by Jesus. That he unites us into one. And he brings us under submission to our God. We think about the spreading of the gospel, of this good news. That our Lord Jesus is the one who is that all in all, the summing up of all things, heaven and earth being brought under his authority. And we think about how we participate in this summing up of all things when 
We as sinners bearing witness of this good news to others. That this Jesus will come. God has appointed a judge. Acts 17. God has appointed a judge. His son. And he's proved it by raising him from the dead. That one day he will return. That he will judge the world in righteousness. That you and I must be ready. That there will be a final judgment for Satan and the demons. There will be a final judgment for sinners. Are you trusting in your own good works? Are you trusting that God will grade on a curve? He's already said that he will not. There's only one standard. That's the perfect standard of Jesus Christ. Embrace the promises of the gospel. You realize that he is our only hope for forgiveness. He is your only hope for eternal life. Embrace the promises of the gospel today. Let me go to our God together in prayer. Our Lord.